0: So whether or not you see yourself as a good sinner this morning coming in, or a bad sinner, it's one of the two. And I know you go back and forth. I'm saying come to the feast. And feast on God's word with me and get filled up and be at, put at peace with yourself, peace with your neighbor, and peace with God. Amen. Yuval Harari, a professor at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, wrote this that I'm about to read to you listen carefully it's not in print and uh, it's about people and what we are like he's he's quite a well-known writer I didn't know that I didn't know him until until I was talking to one of my brothers in the ministry and he's been listening to his books and uh, but a lot of people across the world are listening to this young man I call him young he's 47 (laughs) homo sapiens homo sapiens are are a storytelling animal that thinks in stories rather than in numbers or graphs. Homo sapiens believe that the universe itself works like a story replete with heroes and villains conflicts and resolutions climaxes and happy endings and Beth are I saw you nodding as our English teacher that's taught literature for so many years. When we look for the meaning of life as people, we want a story that will explain what reality is all about and what my particular role is in the cosmic drama. This role makes me part of something, bigger than myself, something bigger than myself and it gives me meaning, and it gives meaning to all my experiences and choices also. Story, mega stories. There's a fancy name out there for big stories, long stories like, like the, the Lord of the Rings or the Star Wars movies or Yellowstone. It's called a meta-narrative, a, lo- a big, it kind of means mega, big long story, lonesome dove. It was another one. Some of the, what this writer is saying is, some of the appeal for you to sit and binge watch Virgin River and get depressed when it's no longer this season's over and you got to wait another six months for another one, is because you're longing for a long story and you find yourself in that story. You want to. Are you won't even watch it anymore? You want to connect with it, and it, and it. You want it to define something about life and give you meaning and purpose. This is this. This man's put his finger on the, something. It's a. I, I believe this is a truism, for all people. But what about us? Well, as Americans, we see ourselves and around these times of political elections you'll hear more and more of telling the story of being part of the great story of the american experiment of democracy right as a christian we postulate that we by god's grace have stumbled on the mega meta narrative or the mega story of all mega story the story of God and humanity. The story of God loving humanity. The story of God loving humanity so much that he put skin on. But before that, he walked into the garden and said, I'm gonna put skin on. And then he talked for thousands of years through people, through homo sapiens, that he was coming. And then he fulfilled all the things he said through those Homo sapiens in the little baby and Jesus who never sinned. So the plan of salvation, fall into sin, promise of a savior, thousands of years of promising in scripture, written, preserved by Homo sapiens, copied, preached, taught, suddenly boom, he's born of a virgin, born under the law, born in Bethlehem, is raised pure and holy, never sinned, Then he has a three-year ministry and then he dies and rises again to give all homo sapiens hope of eternal life not through them being so good but through the mercy and grace of the deity and the story is that gives us meaning and purpose and value and truth be told probably for many of you it's the reason you creep back here on sunday like you get home at night and click through looking for your favorite story on netflix or paramount or primetime you come here because you in your heart of hearts believe somehow the story is going to give you peace and hope and meaning and salvation if you don't get it you start to drift away and even talk about your church like I wasn't getting it anymore right he put his finger on it but we've got the real story the real meta-narrative and today we see Jesus doing what I've just done for the first five minutes he's but he's doing it with a parable he's dragging his audience into the story And saying, This is the meaning of life. It's the meaning of every human being's life and God's relationship with all Homo sapiens by telling the parable a story of a wedding banquet. Twice in the Gospels, we see the wedding banquet, but it's two separate occasions and two separate parables. Jesus would often borrow from one or the other and recreate it to say something more or different than he said in the other one. The other one's hiding away over in Luke. This is Tuesday of Holy Week. Tuesday of Holy Week was the big teaching day for Jesus. A week ago, standing here, Pastor Herring talked about another short parable about two sons that Jesus was saying on Tuesday of Holy Week in the temple courts on Tuesday of Holy Week over in Jerusalem 36 acre courtyard with all these porches Jesus is teaching vehemently he cleansed the temple of all the mercantile and all of that on Monday and they had not regrouped to make all their racket and noise with animals and money and all haggling and all that and now in the quiet of the courts he's teaching and he's he has already been confronted because they came to him last week we talked about it what authority do you have to go cleansing the temple and doing all this teaching or whatever and Jesus then moves into after that confrontation two great parables one of a vineyard and this one of a wedding banquet and what he's doing is he's dragging his audience into the meta-narrative and he's saying it in a parable because he doesn't have much time and parables stick like glue they stick in your head they stick in your heart You can't shake them off. You can say you don't believe their point, but you can't shake it off. It's still there. Here's the parable. I'm going to read it to you. He's dragging them into the story, and then I'm going to drag you into the story with Jesus, and we're going to go home getting that meaning and purpose and hope and identity that he wants us to have. Okay? Jesus spoke to the people, the Jews, again in a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Already, as a Christian, who's the king? God the Father. Who's the son? Jesus standing there telling the story. The king, God the Father, made a banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. I'm going to make this simple for today. The servants are not the prophets of the Old Testament. You're tempted to think that. These servants are the apostles and us Christians after them. The church of, ch- and its mission to, to invite people to God's banquet. The servants. He said to the servants, verse 4, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. The feast is ready. Come to the feast. The oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Now, many people within the sound of Jesus' voice had never been invited to such a banquet. They're the common folk in those temple courts. They don't get invited by kings to banquets. They're just not, they're not they don't make the A list. <laughs> but the people paid no attention and went off one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Remember how the apostles were many times killed by the Jews? The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Jesus is saying this in 33ish A.D. When did the city of Jerusalem get burned? It had been burned in 586 B.C., but it's 70 A.D. Just 40 years from now. For 40 years, the apostles and their, their the ones after them would beg the Jews to come to faith in Christ. Also, at the same time, heading off to, the, to say it to the Gentiles as well. But it, finally, God's, in his anger, he said, that's it. Okay, I'm, I'm moving history forward and now Israel is, will no longer have her temple and her city. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those invited did not deserve to come because they did not care about the invitation from the king. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out and invited to the banquet anyone. And they gathered all the people they could find. The what? Bad as well as the good. This is a very key part of the story. The wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, if you thought this was like the other wedding banquet story you're kinda like yawning and going okay we got the story and we're all invited through Jesus to be in heaven but actually the people in front of him do not want to be part of his meta narrative, and they don't believe in him and he wants them to see how critical this is so watch what he says but when the king came in to see the guests this is a twist he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes good and the bad invited filled with wedding guests one man not wearing wedding clothes he asked him how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes friend the man was speechless the king told the attendants tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen master teacher jesus goes from story into the reality right parables an earthly story with a heavenly meaning right He goes, he he moves into the reality. Whenever you hear Jesus or or Isaiah talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth, what are you thinking of that location is? That's hell, right? That's the reality, right? So the king says, throw him out. He's at the wedding banquet without the wedding garment. I don't know, four years ago, my future daughter-in-law and I were talking about her wedding to our son. And I i always either preach in a suit or a robe at a wedding. And I was going to give the sermon at their wedding. And I wasn't thinking about being the dad of the groom. I was thinking about being the pastor. So I said, do you want me to wear my blue suit or my gray suit or my black suit? And she looked at me kind of like you're gonna wear a tux dad <laughs> oh okay cuz you know they all gotta look alike right the dads and the when we all stand for the big picture and all the groomsmen so I've had a tux just like those young men I didn't look the same as they did in their tux but had the same tux that's that's a small example the way we in our culture have some things about dress at weddings right? what what some of the royal weddings had back in their day was the Kings and the very wealthy the wedding just like today was a show It you it was a, it's such a grand occasion that and they wanted to it to be so wonderful for their young couple getting married that it was a show you kinda caught that at the little Village wedding at Cana when Mary goes they have no more wine. We cannot go through the embarrassment of us running out of wine at a wedding. It wasn't a king's wedding, but it was like with some, there's things about a wedding that are supposed to go well, right? Some girls and moms spend their whole daughter's life planning for that day, right? And this, so when Jesus says there was a wedding garment issued at the door, even though that's not our culture, we can understand their culture, right? That their, their pageantry was that if you were invited, we're not going to, like my daughter-in-law with me, we're not going to let you pick what you wear. You're going to wear what we give you so you fit in. Whether they all matched or not, I don't know. Whether Jesus is not intending that kind of detail. But, the, but you you going to a king's wedding, and at the door they're handing you a garment because you have been fortunate enough to be invited and make the A-list and they're letting you come in, you don't walk past the guy and say what? Oh, never mind, I like what I'm wearing and I chose to wear anyway. I'm going to express my individuality. When the king comes and walks in and his plan was that you wear it, that psychology of that narrative resonates. Like my original quote, you know, we're looking for a story where it resonates. That resonates with us. It's not your wedding. You're a guest. You wear what the host wants you to wear. How did you get in here without a wedding garment? Speechless, because he has no good answer. Ow. We both know that you do not want me as your king, and you're wanting to be, albeit all about you and not about me and my son and his banquet. So you can go out, do your thing over there, but you're not gonna be in here when it's about me and my son for all these people, including you, but you didn't want it. You see how the meta-narrative draws you in? One, One writer, as I'm meditating on this week, said, why was there just one? I think he has a fascinating explanation. If there were like seven or 10 or two, you would struggle. To immediately start to ask yourself your own question, am I wearing the garment? That one makes it an integer with you and your one heart that's listening with this thing, talking to this one person. It brings the whole story down to the one point. Are you wearing the garment or not? The story covers, the Bible's a long story, this story covers only the New Testament era. What I mean is not the era of the, when the apostles lived, but from the time Christ first came, that was 2,000 years ago, to the time he comes back and ends the world. The story is talking about the banquet of salvation that is housed in the church, the people of God. Not just the building, but the people of God and the gospel and that story of a banquet starts in on earth like with the Lord's Supper today with the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ as our Savior with baptism and all the beauties of the gospel and what it does in our lives while we're still on this earth but it culminates in heaven where the 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 wonderful blessing of shucking this sinful body and this sinful heart Forever and being together in the bliss of the Lord and then finally after Judgment Day our bodies rise up and they're forever with the Lord with our soul That's the banquet. It starts here. It's culminated in heaven, and that's what this banquet parable's about so Are you in this? group of people who came to church today? Wearing the wedding garment or not? We're glad you wore clothes to church and that you're modestly dressed but you know that's not what I'm talking about. In your soul are you wearing the righteousness of Christ, the son of the king where the king, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? These are those Romans 7, I mean Revelation 7, these those in heaven, these are those in the white robes that washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. Are you washing, right now, are you in the robe of Christ's righteousness or did you come in your own goodness? Do you see yourself as a good sinner and some of us are the bad sinners? Right? Are you wearing the robe of righteousness? It is absolutely critical between you and God that you get you understand this and you get this and you trade in your own life for his life. That you receive him by faith as your replacement. That you look at your life, I actually, God actually, Jesus actually wants you to look at your life and go, oh wretched sinner that I am. He wants that. So then you will say, please get me some clothes to wear. And he said, I got them i got it. this here's jesus you get to wear jesus over your life right you stand at your closet this morning and go i, I can't wear that i wore that last week i do because i'm the preacher right i uh I I, got, I I don't have anything to wear right or i wonder if i'm going to be judged if i dress too much or dress too down maybe you don't think about that ever that's a really good thing but that's an example of the thoughts that god wants you to have in your spiritual life so you think every day To come before a holy God in prayer, in worship, and in heaven. Am I wearing me, or am I wearing God? And he says, I want you to wear God. I love you that much. I'll cover you up and bring you into my fold. Every single time. So we care that you came in, for your own sake, in your soul, wearing certain clothes. Not in your body, but in your soul. The clothes of Christ and so does the king you know why it's his story it's his narrative it's his wedding and we are his guests spoiler alert your life is not really all about you it's all about him and you being loved by him and being brought into story and that my friends is the secret of stability it's the secret of humility it's the secret of identity it's the secret of peace and hope and love and all of those things When you know I am lost inside of Jesus, it's not all about me as an integer, an individual, a righteous person. It's coming to the point where you don't care if you're considered to be a good sinner or a bad sinner in your own eyes or anybody else's, right? Because you're covered by Christ. It'd be like you walking into, you know, again, back to illustrations, you walk into church and somebody dressed in a suit like me looks you up and down in your jeans and t-shirt and goes, what are you doing wearing that to church? And you could say, well, I'm wearing Christ, so go find somebody else to pester. (laughs) Who cares what you wear to church when you're covered modestly, right? And you're, you know, you come to, you come in the righteousness of Christ. But see, this is also true when your mother-in-law is, is, is jumping down your, your throat about something. You wear the righteousness of Christ. Or as a husband and wife, when you get in one of those spats where you're comparing who's been the goodest, right, about something. Or you're thinking it without saying it. Or uh, there's just so many examples about your interactions with people. So that brings me to this, this final slide, it's been up there in a few minutes while you when you show up in heaven please recognize you have only one hope and that's to wear christ in his righteousness you ain't going to make it on your own secondly when you live out your life while you live it out on earth wear the robes of christ and you'll have all these things i talked about identity serenity peace uh, humility and and you'll be strong in the face of criticism because you're wearing the righteousness of Christ. That's the meaning of the parable of the great banquet, and that's the meaning of this story in the Bible of the great plan of salvation. And you know what frights <laughs> me? That the devil will try to make you think I'm just up here blowing smoke about a story. This is real you know when you watch a, a great Netflix or a great movie or whatever maybe you're a real big Star Wars fan or you know a great epic long meta narrative. remember how the next time you watch it like it fills your head while you're going to sleep that's why I don't watch Yellowstone anymore because it's so dark can't even get myself to sleep at night so it lingers right and then it lingers into the next day and you're talking to somebody did you see you know the new Virgin Rivers out you know to your friends because you really like that show What gripes me is that I see so many believers, including myself at times, do not recognize that the meta narrative of Jesus and the plan of salvation is the most wonderful thing to let linger in your mind and heart. It's the best story. So you can have all these other stories around, but you got your Your best story is the story of Christ's righteousness, the feast of salvation. Amen.